This is a Rooster Teeth production. Content warning. Mentions of suicide. What do Judy Garland, Carrie Fisher, and Ernest Hemingway have in common? They all have received electroconvulsive therapy, a.k.a. shock therapy. Welcome to 30 Morbid Minutes. This is the podcast where we explore topics of a morbid, macabre, dark, and downright grisly nature. I'm Elise Willems. And I'm Jessica Vasami. In 1963, a writer and poet, Sylvia Plath, published The Bell Jar, a semi-autobiographical book mirroring Plath's own life and events like her personal breakdown. In The Bell Jar, the lead character, Esther Greenwood, slips into a debilitating depression following one unfortunate summer in New York. Her normally vivid worldview turns into a mounting hopelessness. Upon her return home, Esther is psychiatrically evaluated. She is encouraged by her doctor, Dr. Gordon, to seek electroconvulsive therapies. Esther's account of the experience is detailed as such. Dr. Gordon was unlocking the closet. He dragged out a table on wheels with a machine on it and rolled it behind the head of the bed. The nurse started swabbing my temples with a smelly grease. Dr. Gordon was fitting two metal plates on either side of my head. He buckled them into place with a strap that dented my forehead and gave me a wire to bite. I shut my eyes. Then something bent down and took hold of me and shook me like the end of the world. Whee! It shrilled through an air crackling with blue light, and with each flash, a great jolt drubbed me till I thought my bones would break and the sap fly out of me like a split plant. I wondered what terrible thing it was that I had done. Quote the bell jar, 1961. All it took was one traumatic experience for Esther to drop out of electroconvulsive therapy altogether. And while the bell jar is technically fiction, it's unsettlingly close to Plath's own real life experiences. Mm -hmm. Like Esther, Plath was riddled with depression upon making the trip home to Boston after a very disappointing summer in New York. Suicidal at this point, Plath slashed her legs to see if she had the courage to even kill herself. Following a psychiatric evaluation, doctors decided to try a popular new therapy, much like the one Esther tries in her book, electroshock. All the rage at the time. Electroshock was seen as a clean, simple, and effective way to cure severe depression, mania, catatonia, and schizophrenia without medication. So on July 29th, 1953, Plath received her first electroshock therapy treatment. Today, electroconvulsive therapies remain a popular treatment for people struggling with mental illness. However, the procedure overall looks very different than it did in the 1950s when Plath underwent hers. ECT is used to treat severe depression, acute mania, bipolar 2, schizophrenia, and other treatment resistant disorders, and it's estimated in the United States over 100,000 people a year are treated. And it's still the recommended second line of treatment per the medical guide to mental illness. Um, This is after medication ceases to be working to its full effect. It's crazy. It's still a thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That being said, ECT still carries a major stigma due to its somewhat tarnished and sordid history, marred by inhumane and forced procedures, torture, and wild experimentation. So in this episode, we are digging deep into ECT's controversial past to see how it's been abused and to see how the practice has evolved to where it is today. First, we need to go back to its very beginnings, 1936, springtime in Italy. The economy was slowly recovering following World War I. 
fascism was on the rise in Europe and Benito Mussolini, my cousin, had been dictator for nine oh years. My gosh, <laughs> you say that like it's a proud familial No, no, connection. people would always joke with me growing up for some reason because my last name's Vasami. They're like, oh, Mussolini. I'm like, no, why does that? Oh why do you have God. to connect those two? I feel like that's like the worst yeah. and, and, and like strangely advanced child bullying I've ever heard of. (laughs) I know it's the weirdest. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was because it was during a time when like you're learning about like Hitler and these, you know, Stalin, all these awful dictators. dictators, Yeah. They were like, Oh, Italy, Mussolini, Vasami. Jessica. I'm like, don't look at me. Everyone looking at me in the classroom. Oh my God. These kids. Anyway. Um, anyway. Uh, and so yes, there in Italy nestled in the city center, not far from the Vatican was and still is Rome University Hospital. Ugo Sorletti and his assistant Lucio Bini were working in a psychiatric neurological division of the Rome University Hospital. Sorletti had already been conducting long-standing research on epilepsy when he caught wind of a groundbreaking experiment for patients suffering from schizophrenia. And then as early as 1934, a Hungarian neuropathologist and psychiatrist, Ladislaw Maduna, had been experimenting with chemically induced convulsions in order to create, quote, a healing epileptic seizure. Maduna believed that one disease could be cured by using another disease. And at the time, he was studying epilepsy patients suffering from schizophrenia. So Yeah, and in doing that, he found that the symptoms of schizophrenia greatly reduced following an epileptic seizure, which is like a weird correlation to see because you would think an epileptic seizure is purely bad. But in this case, he was seeing a change in his schizophrenic patients. Okay. On January 2nd, 1934, Maduna induced the first seizure on a human using a chemical agent, metrozole, a drug formerly used as a circulatory and respiratory stimulant, which induces seizures when administered at higher doses. Sorletti also having been experimenting with inducing seizures via electricity, while he sent his assistant, Beanie, to Vienna to look into Maduna's research. When Beanie got back from Vienna, he informed Serletti about the complications with the chemically induced seizures. And remember, this is 1934. They're trying all this stuff for the first time. So they had no idea really how much metrazole was too much metrazole. Yeah. Um, One of the main complications that happened was that clinicians used trial and error to find a patient's chemical threshold when medicating them for seizures. Good old trial and error. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all they had. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't. I just would not it's want to be the patient. The, the crux for most of this episode yes. is trial and error. Yes, this process was, of course, risky and incredibly stressful because patients were forced to anxiously wait for a violent seizure. You're just sitting there waiting, like I'm about to, like my brain's about to explode as more and more chemicals were injected into their bodies. Oh, it must have been so terrifying if you know what's happening to you and what to expect. Absolutely. Um, It's like, I can't even get my legs waxed without worrying about what's happening next. No, knowing, first off, a seizure in itself is terrifying. And I know that these seizures can come unexpectedly. Sometimes people can get, you know, like little bits of like, oh, I can feel one coming. But I don't know. I just would hate to just be there being like, okay, I'm about to get my brain fucking rattled in my head right now. The These chemically induced seizures cause violent thrashing. And this created other complications like vertebrae fra- fractures, severe bruising, muscle damage. Sirletti mm-hmm. was determined to modify Maduna's procedure with the use of electricity. In his eyes, electricity promised cleaner, simpler, more reliable, and less terrifying, 
thank you, <laughs> procedures, mainly because the electric shock immediately rendered the person unconscious. And this reduced anxiety in patients and the potential for chemical overdoses. Okay, yeah, but where the heck did he get this idea from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, apparently, Sir Letty was walking past a butcher shop window, as the story goes, and he saw a butcher preparing a pig for slaughter. Sir Letty watched through the window as the butcher plays an electrode device on the pig before slaughtering it, a method becoming more and more popular in Italy during the 1930s. And this shock caused the pig to convulse and then enter this coma-like state, and it made it easier and cleaner for the butcher to then kill the pig. Coincidentally, though, Stiletti had already been conducting electrical experiments on dogs, tracking their brain changes while the dogs were shocked by electric currents. I'm a fan of pigs, so I already wasn't <laughs> loving this, but this man just became like public enemy number one in my eyes. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. You don't hurt dogs. No. Or, yeah, totally. But it gets worse, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, to do this, Sir Letty would insert a rod into the rectum of the dog with another rod inserted into the mouth. This was incredibly dangerous as the current as the current would pass through the heart, ultimately leading to the dog's death. I, saw, I heard you just sigh mid-sentence there, Jess. I, I just I'm had having a, to read yeah, this. Just take a moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sir Letty, uh, my enemy, as we, we will now be referred to, mm-hmm. he, he knew this process for creating an electric shock was too dangerous. So in October of 1936, he entrusted Beanie to investigate the possibility of inducing epileptic seizures by applying electrical current directly to the skull. Beanie designed the first iterations of modern-day ECT devices and sold his patents throughout Europe. The design allowed electrodes to be applied to the head as an electric current passed through the skull to the brain. And they tested this on dogs again. Yes, mainly they were testing to see if they could cause a reaction in the brain while rendering the dogs unconscious, much like the pigs, and also not kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And once satisfied with their ECT results in dogs, they were ready to perform the first ever electro-induced seizure on a human. And this is where it gets worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Warning. It gets worse here. Yeah. It was 1938 when a 39-year-old mechanic from Milan was found wandering the tracks of a Rome train station. He was trying to board trains without a ticket. He had no known address and was incoherently mumbling to himself. The police commissariat of Rome arrested him and brought the man to Sir Letty's psychiatric clinic. And all they did was like attach a note to him, a little piece of paper that said the subject does not appear to be in full possession of his faculties. And so like the gosh, the police, they're they're They basically just like dropped this guy off like you would an Amazon package. Yeah, with a note. Like, here, yeah. um, do something with him. And so, Sir Letty, they, t- they took him in at the clinic and they started calling him Enrico X, mm-hmm. but not his real name. Uh, he seemed to be lucid and knew where he was, but he was still mumbling to himself and kind of indifferent to his surroundings. And uh, it's really important here to note that Enrico X did not consent to this. Mm-hmm. He was just brought here and dumped here and at the mercy of these people, yeah. these doctors. Yeah. He was diagnosed by clinicians as schizophrenic with delusions, ha- hallucinations, and confusion. And on April 11th, 1938, submitted for the first ever electricity-induced convulsive therapy at 110 volts, lasting 0.2 seconds. Yeah. 110 volts is said to make a person feel like they got hit by a train and then might not even remember they got hit by a train. Yeah, despite the high voltage, Enrico X's first electric administration did not induce a seizure. So nine days later, they tried again. 
Oh my God. And this time they tried it at a higher voltage, which did produce a seizure and it lasted 80 seconds long. So, you know, almost a minute and a half. And again, he never consented to this. He was literally picked off the street and used as a human guinea pig by these men. A Jewish German doctor, Lothar Kalowinski, who had recently fled Hitler's uh, Germany for Italy, was personally present for Enrico X's first ECT experiments. Kalinowski did an interview where he recalled how Sterletti conducted the first ECT on Enrico X in secret because they were afraid if something went wrong, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which maybe the fact that you got to do it in secret is a red flag to begin with. Absolutely. Once Enrico X's first treatment was successful, Sterletti called in other team members with a trumpet. Yes, a trumpet <laughs> to witness the second treatment. Like, Why? God, these guys are like so big on themselves yeah. and did not care. Like, please bring in the trumpet. Essentially, like subjecting humans to clinical testing and they're announcing it with a trumpet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, in this interview, uh, Kalinowski is asked what his impression was the first time he saw ECT. He replied, according to my wife, because I don't remember it exactly, she claimed that when I came home, I was very pale and said, I saw something terrible today. I never want to see that again. End quote. In May of 1939, after 11 treatments, Enrico, quote, recovered from his schizophrenia and was released from the Rome University Clinic. What did recovery for Enrico X look like exactly? No more mumbling, normal speaking, and a decreased pathological jealousy of his wife. This was not his first experience with induced seizures or the first time he was used as a guinea pig, though. Mm -mm. In 1937, Enrico X had been hospitalized in Milan at the Mombello Asylum, and it was there that he received his first metrazole-induced seizure. Yeah, so this was just a chemical seizure, no electricity. That's mm -mm. what differentiates it. And then in August 1939, following their first successful application of ECT, Cerletti uh, and Beanie went to a Copenhagen medical conference just before the German invasion of Poland, and they presented their research there. They had gathered it from nearly 3,000 ECT cases. This implies that between May of 1939 and August of 1939, approximately 3,000 electroshock experiments had been conducted. So if you do the math, this works out to about 1,000 electroshocks per month. And who knows if the people that they were doing this treatment to, they had like pulled off the street like Enrico yeah. or they were sanctioned or consensual. Like who knows? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then in the early 1940s, there was international research into ECT, but it was still minimal because of war shortages and concerns about the research. But regardless of, of safety concerns, the groundbreaking procedure caught the attention of Germany's Third Reich. The last people that you would um, want anything to catch their attention. Absolute um, <laughs> last people. Yes. And so the sale of ECT devices to this point was relatively low. They were expensive and hard to find. But the Nazi party had a ton of cash to spare. Hitler and the Third Reich had already been financing the T4 campaign since October of 1939. Yes. And T4, this is a code name. It comes from the street address of the program's coordinating office in Berlin. Tiergartenstrasse. Uh, did I pronounce that okay, Jess? Theodor yes. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> um, Hitler's T4 campaign was the Nazi Party's euthanasia program that targeted mentally and physically disabled people. This especially included those living in hospitals with schizophrenia, mania, psychosis, physical disabilities, and the criminally insane. 
Yeah. And so everything happening with the Third Reich and the Second World War went on to influence the design of the devices for ECT. And uh, the Nazi party intentionally built prototypes, which they intended to use for euthanasia to kill people that they deemed who were living lives not worth living. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, uh, it seems like, you know, obviously this this technology comes from a very marred place where it was first used without consent of people and humans were treated like guinea pigs. But then it gets even worse because then you have the Nazi party come in who they want to use it for torture. Yeah, they abused it. They they yeah. just, yeah. Well, this next part's interesting. Uh, the leading company for medical technology in the German Reich, uh, Siemens, yes, that is the Siemens maker of the COVID tests that you were thinking of, created one of the more popular versions of the device called the uh, Convulsator. The Convulsator was this rectangular shaped box that had two knobs and uh, a meter in the middle for reading electrical currents. And then electrodes that were attached to the box via a wire would be pressed to a patient's head. And there were other devices like this that would start to crop up around Europe during the Second World War. The convulsator distinguished itself from the Italian electroshock, which used uh, electro clamps and forceps by compressing electrodes on the head, a similar electro design to what is actually still used today. Electroshock torture fit perfectly in with the Third Reich's plan to make their murderous program more discreet, um, especially after the deauthorization of gas chambers on hospital grounds in 1941. So this was a, a very low profile way to uh, murder people. ECT was also used on prisoners in concentration camps as a torture device for unethical experiments or for punishment. Mm -hmm. It was used internally, too, which is even more sickening, as a method to discipline soldiers, to punish them if they were experiencing PTSD. And so the Nazis just started scooping up all of these devices that were available and it made them hard to come by for actual medical treatment purposes. Yeah. So by the end of June 1941, Siemens had only delivered 50 convulsators, with 23 of them going to the occupied Netherlands, 18 went to psychiatric institutions, and the other five went to asylums. And the other 32 landed in the Nazi death and torture camps. Before the war ended, Kalinowski fled Italy for the United States, settling in Manhattan, where he began accompanying researchers in the studies of electroshock at the New York Psychiatric Institute at Columbia University in Manhattan. Like Kalinowski, there were other neuropsychiatrists pioneering the use of ECT. This time in North America, Dr. David Impostato is credited with the early use of Sterletti and Beanie's machine in the U.S. Before we dig into that, a word from our sponsors. One of the most exciting things about a new year is that you have no idea what adventures are in store for you. And what new things you might learn. I'm learning a new language. I'm using Babbel for it. Ooh, Babbel is an addictively fun and easy language learning app with bite-sized lessons. Yeah, and you only really need 10 minutes to finish a lesson. Babbel focuses on having real-life conversation in a new language in as little as three weeks. They have 14 languages to choose from and offer lessons created by language learning experts. And they're voiced in native speakers instead of AI, like other language learning apps. Plus, they have speech recognition technology that helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. 
I've used Babbel to brush up on my French because I learned it growing up. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And it's the kind of thing where like you can, you know, use the app while you're folding laundry um, or just hanging out, petting your dog. It might be a little tough to do it while you're brushing your teeth if you're trying to do some of the pronunciation stuff. I mean, this is coming um, in handy for you because you school me on all of the French words that I'm having trouble with because you you know it. Well, and I, I need Babbel to help me be, continue to be able to do that. And you're crushing it. <laughs> and right now you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash 30mm. That's babbel.com slash 30mm for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Jess, you know those giant plastic bottles that laundry detergent comes in? Yeah. Like 90% of those do not get recycled, and that's 700 million detergent bottles per year. Yikes. That is a lot of plastic for the Pacific Garbage Patch. But what can we do? Stop doing laundry? No, you and me especially cannot. No, absolutely <laughs> <But> not. <laughs> we can switch to Earth Breeze. Their laundry detergent eco sheets look like dryer sheets, but they're not. They dissolve 100% in any wash cycle, and you don't even have to measure. You just toss them in. They're so easy and convenient. Have you used them, Jess? I have. And the last time we did this ad, if I'm just being honest, I had only used them once before we did the ad. And now I have used them every single time since. Cool. And they are, I will be 100% switching over to Earth Breeze. They are fantastic. And they clean my clothes amazingly. And on top of keeping Jess fresh... They're also biodegradable, have plastic-free packaging, and their eco-sheets are even vegan and dermatologically tested to be safe for sensitive skin. And most important, you still get a powerful clean for your clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you find that your clothes felt just like cleaner or fresher? Yeah. No, they really did. Because I think when I first got it, I was like, is this really going to clean my clothes the same way? And yes, it absolutely cleans my clothes, except even better. On top of that, they have a buy one, give 10 initiative that donates 10 free loads to a charitable cause of your choice. Earth Breeze has already donated 30 million loads. Now's the time to try Earth Breeze because right now our listeners can subscribe and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash 30mm to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash 30mm for 40% off. Earthbreeze.com slash 30mm. So before the break, we were talking about Dr. David Impastato, who was starting to pioneer the use of Sirletti and Beanie's machine in North America. Yes, he started treating patients at Columbus Hospital, now known as Cabrini Hospital. It was a private hospital in Manhattan, which would explain why not much is available about the ECT research conducted here. Much private uh, medical research isn't openly available to the public, though. Then by 1941, with the help of Kalinowski and his peers, ECT became a popular interest throughout the U.S. So much so that many psychiatric clinics were beginning to treat patients with the technology. Um, and it wasn't, you know, an unusual or a, a test or experimentation thing. It was how they treated patients. There you go. In 1941, a group of uh, physicians at McLean Hospital in Belmont, Maryland, became the first publicly acknowledged medical practitioners to perform an electricity induced seizure for psychiatric purposes in the United States. Mm -hmm. In the late 30s, McLean Hospital had already been experimenting with chemically induced seizures to treat psychiatric ailments. So this was kind of the next step forward. But chemical or fever induced seizures were discontinued in 1941 once they adopted ECT. It was actually at McLean in the July summer of 1953 where Sylvia Plath went um, for her electroshock treatment. 
Since Plath used much of her personal life experience to write The Bell Jar, it is easy to assume that Plath is recalling from her own time at McLean Hospital. And if you remember the quote that Jess read at the beginning of the episode, Esther, the Bell Jar's main character, talks about receiving a great jolt something that felt like it was shaking her, uh, mm -hmm. like the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Esther was able to recall the ferocious jolting of the electric current means she was conscious for the treatment, probably due to the voltage not being high enough to knock her out. Which probably means that the fictional doctor in the book, Dr. Gordon, did not give her the sedatives that were now popularly used. Physicians across the globe were widely embracing sedative use in the early 1950s because the tensing convulsions would often result in, you'd guessed it, some serious injury. Yeah, and giving someone a sedative allows for their muscles to be more relaxed during the convulsing period. It's like if you've ever been in a car accident and yes. you tense up because you see someone it, the car's coming at you yep. and it's almost like worse. It's almost like if you had just been, your body had been limp. Um, I imagine it's, it's similar. Yes. And so the, the sedative, it like, you know, made the use of limb restraints less intense or needed too, because the, you didn't really need to like tie a person down. They weren't fighting against it. Yeah. Unfortunately, on August 24th, 1953, after Pallas' first experience with botched electrotherapy, she crawled under a porch with a bottle of her mother's sleeping pills. This was her first suicide attempt, and she spent the next six months in psychiatric hospitals where she continued to receive electro and insulin shock treatments from Dr. Ruth Barnhouse, who was one of the physicians that we mentioned earlier, who was pioneering the technique at McLean. In the book, The Bell Jar, Dr. Barnhouse was reincarnated as Dr. Nolan, the understanding psychiatrist. Um, in the book, The Bell Jar, Dr. Barnhouse was reincarnated as Dr. Nolan, the understanding psychiatrist who helped Esther via talk therapy and proper ECT. Barnhouse had been a student of medicine at Columbia in Manhattan, while Kalinowski, remember him, was there spreading the news of the new electroshock equipment. And so she largely benefited from his specialized training. Under the care of Dr. Barnhouse, Plath herself underwent six more successful electroshock treatments throughout the rest of 1953. So we're talking about successful electroshock therapy, a therapy that actually benefits and is done according to regulations and is good uh, for the person receiving it. So Jess, what does a successful ECT session actually look like when it's done today? Yeah, and we're not talking about the way it might be portrayed, adapted, or sensationalized for, you know, TV and movies. We're talking about what an ECT session actually looks like when done in real life. And like the laws vary from state to state and regulations, but generally when it's when it's done, there will be a psychiatrist, a nurse, and a trained anesthesiologist present. Mm -hmm. The patient will be hooked up to a heart, blood pressure, and oxygen monitor. Uh, they're given an intravenous catheter, and then the patient is placed on 100% oxygen before the anesthesia is induced. An electroencephalogram, which is a small wire monitors for brain activity, is placed on the head to monitor brain activity during the seizure. Yep. And then there's a suctioning device nearby to suck any goop that might come out of the nose and mouth. Once the anesthesia of choice is administered, a bag mask is placed over the patient to cause hyperventilation. This is done to induce hypocapnia, re basically reduced carbon dioxide in the blood, to lower the blood flow to the brain and lower the seizure threshold. 
Mm-hmm. So once they give that anesthesia, a muscle relaxant is also given. And like we were talking about earlier, this prevents injuries due to convulsions during the induced seizure. Mm. A tourniquet is commonly tied to one ankle to block muscle relaxants from reaching the area. This helps monitor non-drugged muscle spasms and stimulation. And then a soft bite block is put in the patient's mouth to prevent injuries to the jaw, teeth, or facial muscles. Electrodes are placed on either side of the temples. This placement is most widely used, but causes the most post-ECT disorientation. They can also place the electrodes um, slightly above the eyes or on the back of the head. The doctor usually decides where the placement is after the first therapy. That makes sense. Yeah. The electrical stimulus is then administered to induce the seizure. There's a burst of electricity that's sent through the skull to the brain. This immediately changes brain blood flow, current, and briefly alters the permeability of the brain to allow more blood flow. It's this jolt that ends up modifying the electrical profile in the brain, and it boosts genes that play a role in brain cell growth. The patient gets a release of hormones and a dump of neurotransmitters, particularly serotonin and dopamine. These neurotransmitter surges will give the patient a very euphoric feeling. It increases blood pressure and causes an increase in oxygen and blood to flow to the heart and also an increased heart rate. Intracranial pressure intensifies inside the skull. And then this is when the seizure starts to happen, the involuntary seizing of the muscles. The goal is for the seizure to last around 25 to 75 seconds, but no shorter than 15 seconds. The patient is then monitored as they recover before being sent home or to their room. So in the bell jar, once Esther finally receives the proper procedure for ECT, she says, All the heat and fear purged itself. I felt surprisingly at peace. End quote. Most people benefit from anywhere between 6 to 12 ECT therapy sessions to help alleviate symptoms of depression or other mental illness when medication no longer helps, as we mentioned earlier. Doctors who practice electroconvulsive therapies have declared the practice safe when administered correctly and used for the right reasons. But it is not without its side effects. And I think some of the most vocal people who have spoken out about this have been um, celebrities because they, you know, they attract a lot of attention when they talk about this kind of stuff. Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. the OG Princess Leia, was an emphatic advocate about the ways of ECT that, you know, helped her depression. She did an interview with Craig Ferguson in 2018 and told him that at one point in her life, she received ECT three times a week for three weeks straight. Yeah, Fisher said that um, this was a tough one because she, poof, lost four months of her life. Yes, because of the extreme memory loss. Um, She received so much ECT that she wrote a 2011 memoir titled Shockaholic. Yes, yes. In this memoir, Fisher recalls her struggles with memory loss, one of the most common side effects of electroshock. Yeah, she said the truly negative thing about ECT is that it's incredibly hungry and the only thing it has a taste for is memory. But despite ECT's increasing popularity, the revolutionary practice was still terrifying to a lot of people. Obviously, it's terrifying. Yeah, even in the 50s and 60s, those sedatives and muscle relaxers we talked about were not widely used. They had to catch on a little bit. Absolutely. And it was also common for mental hospitals in the 1950s and 60s to use ECT as a way to control unruly patients. Many clinicians credit movies and television with creating a negative image of ECT. Specifically, you know, citing um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest as a problematic deception or depiction. Yeah. And it's tough because like Ken Kesey, who wrote that book, he said that he drew on his firsthand experience while uh, working in a mental hospital in the 50s 
So that's where he was pulling that from, no matter how problematic it is. Yeah. I mean, if it's like you saw it firsthand, I, you saw it firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. So perhaps the negative uh, depiction of ECT in the 1950s mental hospitals was actually not far from the truth, maybe. Yeah. In the 70s, ECT treatments fell out of favor, but then they kind of made a resurgence again in the 80s. And this was mostly due to improvements in the practice. Ways that electroshock treatments have improved is through the use of modern sedatives to decrease pain, decrease uh, restraints and an increased focus on, you know, consent. Yeah. And uh, apparently like the shocks are not like they used to be. Physicians now use ultra pulses, which are shorter and less intense on the patient. Thank God. Yeah. ECT is now encouraged only as like a last resort when a person's mental health is resistant to treatment of drugs or if they become like a severe harm to themselves, not as a means of controlling their behavior. That's Mm -hmm. we're done with that. Yeah, hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully people are done with that. And then in 2020, the FDA ruled uh, attempting to ban the use of ECT devices to treat self injuries or aggressive behaviors, such as like head banging or self biting. They were concerned over the serious psychological and physical risks. A federal appeals court overruled that ban in 2022 because while the FDA can ban a device altogether, the courts ruled the ban on a specific use of the device was an attempt to regulate the practice of medicine. Yeah, at the time, there was a a center in Massachusetts, the Judge Rotenberg Educational Center, that was the only facility in the country that was still using electroshock devices to treat individuals who injured themselves or showed aggression. Sylvia Plath swore that ECT helped alleviate her suicidal tendencies and severe depression. Unfortunately, ECT was not able to save Plath's life. At around 4.30 a.m. on February 11th, 1963, 10 years after her first botched treatment and one month after the bell jar was published, she sealed herself in her kitchen with tape and towels. Uh, Her children, who were four and one at the time, were asleep in the other room And then she put her head in the oven, dying from carbon monoxide poisoning. Ernest Hemingway underwent 20 rounds of ECT uh, to treat him for depression in 1961. And Hemingway lamented the impact uh, the memory loss had on his work. Yeah. Judy Garland uh, had ECT treatments. I mean, Judy Garland had Mm -hmm. a ton of horrible things done to her and forced upon her during her, her young acting career. Also... I really only made the connection to this during this episode, but have you ever seen the movie Return to Oz, Jess? Mm, is that the one with Franco? No. No, 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 no. It's from the it's from with Feruza Balk from no, the 80s. And it's like Dorothy goes back to Oz, but at the beginning of the movie, she's sent to a psychiatric facility to Ooh. have electroshock therapy because she's been having all these dreams and she's obsessive over her memories of Oz. And like learning about Judy Garland, I was like, oh my gosh, that how tragically coincidental or maybe not that that's, yeah, that's how that movie starts. And she runs away from the facility. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's pretty scary. Like as a kid, that, I mean, that movie's terrifying. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That too. Cause as a kid, you're watching it and you're like, I think I know what they're going to do to her. I think they're going to shock her. Yeah. They're going to put some shit on her brain and shock her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's definitely impossible to ignore the morbid blemishes in ECT's history um, from from what we talked about, pig slaughtering, mass murder to Nazi experiments to hospital punishment to, to bone breaking convulsions. Much of the research seemed to reveal a cultural memory of violence and exploitation. <laughs> so there, there have been big strides in how it treats both patients and disorders um, like 
I have a friend that has it done. Okay. When, when is needed and uh, does I think I the thing I notice most is the the memory loss. Okay. Um, and you know she has her own experiences with it, but I mean for some people that is their their solution, mm-hmm. right? They've they've tried the alternatives and it's just not working for them. Yeah, and. I'm definitely a big proponent as long as you're not hurting anybody else or yourself. Like if, if this works for you and you're still okay as a human and then what do what works for you. So yeah, this for me scares the crap out of me. Um, I, I don't think I could do this personally. Um, but then again, if, if, you know, medication wasn't helping me and I was just like at a loss for what to be done and I'm, you know, then I probably would, would be in a different place to say that I would probably try it. Um, and maybe I wouldn't be as scared then. So mm-hmm. that's, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, it's tough. It's tough like to have a educated opinion on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it is morbidly fascinating to learn about the history of it. Absolutely. For sure. And we'll return with more morbidly fascinating <laughs> episodes next week. Yes. And in our next season, and for now, Jess, um, maybe you should go watch Return to Oz because it's a Clearly, great movie. Yeah, I should watch it. Clearly, <laughs> I thought this was, you know, the Franco. Whatever was the second. Uh, what Oz was he in? Some Oz. Oh, I don't remember, but that was not great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it because I heard it was not great. So not that one. But anyway, yeah. yes, I should go watch it. Um, but for now, Elise, bad bye. Bad bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>